Thank you, Daniel. I wasn't sure where to stand when I walked up here, so I was like, where do I go? And then I was just laughing to myself, so if you were wondering why is she laughing awkwardly to herself, that was why I was not instructed on what to do. But how are you all doing? You awake? You enjoying this series on Revelation? I hope you're learning. Um, I have definitely learned a lot and have um, really been challenged to go and search it out for myself, right? That's what we should do here is take a portion of this. We only get you for 45 minutes if you're my dad. You know, it's been an hour. We only get you for an hour of teaching. I won't go that long today, maybe. We'll see. I don't know, right? Holy Spirit flowing. But that you go home and then you search it for yourself. What does God have to show you? What does he want to reveal to you by him and in that time? And so we've really just been encouraging everybody to do that. And I've been doing that. So I get the opportunity today to speak as well on Revelation, which has definitely been um, a challenge for me going, uh, okay, what should I talk on on this really easy to understand book, right? It's just so easy. I've like read the thing and I got all the answers. So if you need any answers, I'm your person. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I do want to point out this before I get into my message. Is last week we talked, uh, Pastor John talked on the four horsemen. But I want to um, make you aware that Revelation is not chronological, okay? So there's these different things that happen, and some of it's chronological. But if you have ever had a vision, have you ever had a vision or a dream? Your dreams are often, right, not in order, and you're kind of trying to piece them together. And I think in some of this, it's John's brought here, and John's brought here, and he's seeing all these different things. And so it could be that he's writing it in the order he saw it. He's writing it in the order he remembers it. But that revelation is not necessarily in this chronological order. So I, I want to talk tonight on um, Revelation 7 and this idea, this glimpse of heaven, this, this throne room that John gets to see, this, um, this place that he gets to be um, a part of, right? This, this high privilege of being able to take a glimpse of what's ahead, of what's to come, and not the, the bad stuff to come, but Revelation is filled with so much promise for us, church. There's not just fear in Revelation, there's a lot of promise with Revelation. In fact, the beginning of Revelation starts with a blessing to his people, like, blessed are you who hear this word and receive it and do the works. That's what Revelation starts with, and if that isn't the heart of God, I don't believe Revelation is meant to scare us. Revelation is meant to err us on, is meant to push us forward, is meant to call us into that destiny, and that he gives us these promises. And one of these promises I want to talk about tonight of what is in store for the saints, for those who hold on to the truth, because there are those who will hold on to the truth. And, and he shows, he reminds us, don't be afraid, don't be scared at what's to come, but walk into it with full authority that I have you that I am for you. And so we see this in Revelation 7, 15 through 17. I want to take a look at this, but what's going on before is, is in chapter 7, it's talking about the 144,000, and then it's talking about those who are taken into heaven and their robes are dipped in the blood of the lamb and made white because of it. It's the saints, it's those who held on who held on to the word. And this, this is what's in store for them. And, and Revelation then, seven fifteen through 17. Therefore, 
They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them down nor any heat. For why the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is a promise right here. This is this little glimpse that God, God allows John to see this because it's this promise for the saints. It's this promise for those who endure till the end. And so I want to break this apart. I want to break this into pieces, some thoughts that, that you can pull out of these two scriptures, these two verses in chapter 7. And the first one is, then, is this about heaven, some thoughts about what heaven will be like, right? God, God gives us, um, shows us. God is so good to us to show us different things that he has in store for us, to hold on. And I believe it is. It's that holding on. Hold on to your faith. Hold on. Endure during the hard times because there's your reward waiting. There's a reward waiting for you. So the first thing that we pull out of this is, number one, we are in God's presence and serve him. We are in God's presence and we serve him. Revelation 7, 15a, the first part of it, right? Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. They are before his throne. They are before God's throne. Who is it? These saints who were taken up, who were called to him, right? It's this this place that we get to go before him. And heaven, church, you are before God. There is not this waiting line to get in that you have to stand and forever wait to be before your God. He is accessible at any and all times to us. The Bible tells us that, right, we're to bring God's kingdom here. It's supposed to be, it's this, like, um, replica. This, like, what it looks like there, it should, we should be bringing here. And so if we're in complete communion with him here, right, do you believe that? You have all access to him. At any time of day, you can speak to God. At any time of day, you can bring your good, your bad, your whatever to him, and he hears your prayers. So how much more then? Right? In heaven, where it's perfect, where it's made perfect, where there is no barrier, where there is no sin, where there is no suffering, that we would be before God. I mean, really grab hold of that, that he is allowing that, that he wants that with us, that he chooses us to be in his throne room with him. This holy of holy place, this place that is sacred, he calls his people in. He invites these people in to be with him and to live with him in this place. And then that second part, right? And they serve him day and night in his temple. We're in servitude to the king in heaven. We're in this place in in God's in God's kingdom and in, in heaven to serve him. But it's, uh, it's not just you, you do these boring tasks, right? But I believe it's, it's the person you were truly created to be. 
the gifts and the talents and the things that God has placed inside of you, I don't believe those just go away once we're in heaven. I believe those things are perfected in heaven. And we use them to serve him. We have jobs that serve his kingdom, that serve him, and it's our honor to do it. It's not about making money in heaven. It's not about getting the praise in heaven. It's about glorifying his name in heaven. And if that's true, then I want you to take a second and I want you to think, what does it look like then here on earth? If we're meant to have that, if we're meant to bring heaven to earth, if we're meant to begin to live that life here, what are you doing to serve your God here and now? Maybe, maybe a better way then of saying it is this, is your life is not meant to bring glory to your name. Glory for yourself poisons the thing you think will give you life. Glory for yourself is the thing that will poison your life. You were never meant to carry glory in your own life. You were never meant to possess glory. It is not for you. You can't handle it. Glory is not for your name. Glory is not for your purpose. And, and what we do sometimes in this fallen world is we take the gifts and the talents that who placed in us? Who put those in us? Our creator, God himself did that. And so they're not really ours ever to begin with. They're his. And what he does is he places them inside of us to bring glory to his name. Your gifts and your talents and the things that God has for you, the very specifics of the design, when you live a life that's for yourself, that's for your glory, you will never feel satisfied even in the thing that God's called you to. But when you begin to live a life that's about his glory, that's about his name, that is about his kingdom come, his will be done, right? It's amazing how he begins to work inside of us. It's amazing the platform he begins to use us for. I had this conversation, if I'm real and honest and vulnerable, I had this conversation with my dad, um, Pastor John, uh, a couple weeks ago. So I... I don't love to be the focus of attention. I really don't. I prefer and feel much more comfortable behind the scenes. And so we were just talking and I sat down with him and I, I just came to him discouraged. And I just am like, I, I don't think I have what it takes to teach anymore. I, I just, I don't, it's, we live in a culture and I think all of us are, are open to this with social media, with the accessibility of being able to comment on any and all things. That we think we have a right to comment on any and all things. And so I was just telling him, it's really hard to have really thick skin. And I open myself up to that fully, right? That, and that part, it's okay. But sometimes there's things um, when you are in a public eye that people don't realize hits you at the heart that people have told me. I've had people tell me you should not be speaking because you're a woman. I mean, multiple people. 
I've had people tell me, you're not great at that. You're too young. You have no authority. I had someone tell me people leave when I speak to my face, right? And that's okay, but there, there's been, been times that I've told stories because I like to be real. I like to get up here and I like to tell because it's not perfect. No life is perfect. And if all you're seeing from your pastors is perfection, it's not realistic of what the life with Jesus looks like. And so when I'm up here, I really lay myself bare. But someone came and talked about my parenting, how and I'm terrible at it. And it hit me to the core. Because that's my greatest joy. That's the thing I love. And I even struggled with sharing this because it's so raw for me. And so I'm sitting down with him and I'm like, I, I'm ready to quit. And I'm asking him, I'm like, does it get easier? Because I feel anxious before and leading up to it, I'm just anxious. Like, God, I want to speak your word right. I want to do it right. I want to be faithful. I want to say the right things. And at the same time, I know that scrutiny comes with it. Because we do. We live in a culture where it's, it's hard to stand for righteousness. It really is. It's hard to stand up here and to speak God's truth because a lot of times there's different opinions, even in Revelation. And people just feel it's so easy to share those opinions right now in culture. It's easy to get on and say that. And I was just talking to him. I just, I don't know if I have thick enough skin for this. And he was telling me, he goes, I think culture, he goes, well, I feel the same way. <laughs> and I, he goes, it doesn't get any easier. And I was like, oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much. I came, <laughs> I wanted you to encourage me, but that did not encourage me at all. But what he said was this. He goes, our culture's changing right now. And for the last hundred or so years, it's been easy to get up and become um, elevated in stardom in the Christian world and have people embrace it. And as we're talking about this revelation, the more time goes on, and I hope you agree with me, climate, culture is changing for Christians right now. And he would just so, he's just, as a loving father, just told me, like, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. But he said this, it's also not for your glory. And he goes, you are performing for an audience of one. And it's so true, church. Our servitude and, and my goal at the beginning when I was writing out my goals for this year, here, here's, here's my number one goal, to bring as many people into the kingdom of heaven as possible. And I have a bigger um, way of doing that when I stand up here. And so I, I, our, our glory isn't about ourselves. Our glory, I stand up here and I, I, I am humbled before you because I recognize there's this sobering that's happening. I believe in this church and I'm recognizing it and I'm seeing it in myself of God. This is not for me. This isn't even for the church, God. The glory doesn't even belong to your church, to the saints. All the glory belongs to you. And everything we do should be pointing people to you and not to us. And it's so freeing to recognize that in your own life. 
When you are able to cast off all ideas about what people think about you and you begin to recognize, God, what do people think about you with how I'm living my life, with what I'm saying? God, what are they thinking about you? It frees you up to know you have no responsibility in it. It's his. You're called to be obedient to serving him. You're called to lay down your life, but everything else is in his hands. God can speak for himself. He doesn't need you to defend his voice. Do you hear that? He doesn't need you to defend his voice. He can defend his own, but be his mouthpiece. Be bold with the life that you're living because one day you will enter eternity and it is a life of serving him. And it's the place you want to be. In his presence, serving him, there's nothing better. There's nothing sweeter. The second thing that we pick out of the scripture is this. Number two, God dwells among us. Revelation 7, 15b. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. He's not a far off God. He's not close God. He's a God that desires to live life with you. In Revelation 21.3, we see it's this new heaven and earth, right? And, and so this eternity that we get to be a part of, that new heaven, that new earth, those, the saints who hold on to keep the word, to keep pushing in, who serve him, this is what is in promise for them. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home, the place he chooses to live, church, the place he chooses to live, to dwell, is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself, not some spirit of him, not angels, not anything else, not the heavenly beings. God himself, church, will be with them. God wants to dwell with us. And I was thinking as I was preparing this message, this is God's promise. This was God's intention from the very beginning of the story. You take Adam and Eve, and what did he want with them? He wanted relationship with them. He would walk with them on a daily basis. He wouldn't shout down from heaven, hey, Adam and Eve, right? No, he walked with them. He spent time with them. He talked with them. He wanted relationship with them. It was us who were the downfall in that, not him. His intention was not to separate us from him. And then you go a little further and you look at Exodus and Leviticus and God has his, his Ark of the Covenant and in it is his presence. Because he so badly wants to be with the people. But there's all these rules and regulations set up because the fall of man created that. But even then, he desired to be with his people. He always has wanted to be with his people, to be with the beings that he created and loves more than anything else. Before Saul was appointed king, do you remember this story? Do you remember what God tells the Israelites? They ask for Saul. They ask for a king. And God tells them, I wanted to be your king. I wanted to be the one to lead you. I wanted to be with you. I so badly am crying out for humanity because I long for my 
people. And because there was such a great chasm, what did he have to do? He sent his only son, church. I was thinking about it, and I could be totally wrong. I don't think I am. But is there a purpose and was there a reason that Jesus had to come to earth before he went and fought Satan? Why? To dwell among his people. He wanted to be with his people. And when Jesus was here, all were welcome. Young and old, sick, sinners, all were welcome in his presence because he just wanted his people. He wanted to live among them. He wanted to dwell among them. And God's purpose in all of it, we get through Revelation and we go through all of it because at the end of the story, God's home is among his people. It starts at the beginning with God dwelling and living among his people. And the end of the book that's yet to come is him dwelling and living and making his home with his people. And so I say this then. If you are in a place in life right now, that there is this disconnect, that there's this thing that holds you back from being in relationship with him, in full connection, in full communion with him. If there's this lie that you're believing that it's, it's too great for him, if it's exposed to him, if the shame of whatever it is was revealed to God, if he really saw you for who you were, if you really opened up your heart to him. And I'm not saying just believe in him, but like be in full communion and full relationship with him. Hear this, not my words, hear the word of the Lord. It's a lie from the pit of hell. God's desire even now is to be in full relationship, in full communion, in fullness with you. He longs to live life with you, not away from you, but close to you. Close to who you are, the good and the bad. There is nothing too great that Jesus hasn't already died for. It's already been paid before you made the mistake, before you did the sin, before whatever it is, Jesus knew it and saw it on the cross and he died for it anyway. He already beat the death and the reason he did that was to be in relationship with you. And Satan, oh, he's just so good at sneaking his way into our thoughts. That snake, right? That slithering, that path, that well-worn path that we go, only this close God. He didn't do that. You do that. We do that. God never pushes us away, church. God has never gone, this is as close as I want you to me. God embraces us. God picks us up. God wants us. And the fullness of it we see in eternity. 
to hold on to that, to grab hold of that. We get a glimpse of it here, but the wholeness of it is there. The whole picture of what he's doing, of how he's doing it, is there in heaven, that he will live with us, that he will be with us, that he will laugh with us, that he will have fun with us, that we will walk with him in the cool of the day. And it's the thing he longs for more than even we long for. The third thing, the thing we can pull out of this is three, God will shepherd us. Revelation 7, 16 through 17, take a look at it. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb, King Jesus, church, who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. He wants to care for us and take care of us. Here's what's really interesting about the scripture. There's a lot of different footnotes that lead you all around on these these words that you can pick out in this specific part, in this living fountain, okay? I thought this was so cool. This is me nerdy now. I really love to read. So this living fountain, if you jump to Revelation 22, you see this living fountain that flows from the throne. And now on both sides of it is this what? Tree of life. And if you go back to the very beginning, what was in the garden? And I was thinking about this. Nothing is ever destroyed. Nothing is ever ruined. Because God's power, who God is, is redeeming all things. And so he takes this thing that's in the very beginning and at the very start and the intention that he had for us was life and life with him and to dwell with him and to live with him and to allow him to shepherd us. He takes this tree of life and he brings it to his throne room and there is this fruit for every month of the year, a different fruit for us to partake in. God is this full circle, full redeeming, never giving up type of God. And he wants to shepherd us in heaven. He wants to lead us. And I think we get a glimpse of that here, right? I believe he shepherds us. I believe he leads us. Charles Spurgeon, does anybody know who that is? This incredible teacher. This You you can go through and read his old um, teachings, his old It's incredible. You can find it on Google, and you can just read through the wisdom that this man had. And he says this, though. The true Christian life, when we live near to God, is the rough draft of the full life of communion above. So the true Christian life, the one, the life we're intended to live is near God, where we sense when he's away from us. We should be so close to him, even here and now, that we're able to recognize when he's moved and when he's taken a step. And that all we're to do is to just follow. I don't need to know the answers. You don't need to know the answers. 
We so want to know the answers. We so want to know how does this work out? How does this play out? What is the next step, God? How do you do this? And our call, though, is to just follow him, to be so close to him that we recognize that. We have seen the artist make with his pencil or with his charcoal a bare outline of his picture. It is nothing more, but still one could guess what the finished picture will be from the sketch before you. If you know Monet or you know Van Gogh, you could see an outline of their paintings, of what their art, and you could know if you knew the artist, you could begin to see what it would look like in color, what colors they would use what tone it would feel like, what style they would use, because you know the artist. You've studied the paintings prior. And I think the more we know Jesus, the more we lean into him, the more we study his word and his teachings and our book that he has given us so kindly, the more we begin to see what the color looks like in heaven what the full story looks like for us, what he has for us. One acquainted with the artist could see upon the canvas all the splendor of color peeping through the dark lines of the pencil. We're the rough draft here, but there's this beautiful painting in heaven where he leads us and he guides us, where he shepherds us, I have a four-month-old right now, and I think I equate it to this. I know when my four-month-old is hungry. I know when she needs to go to sleep. I know JJ looks at me all the time. He's like, how did you anticipate the needs of our children? How did you know? Milo has this thing, okay? He takes a snack. We're, we're always running to pick Ezra up from school. So he gets a snack. He eats like maybe a quarter of it. He eats very slow. And then we get in the car. And I know the second we get in the car, Milo is going to to hand me his snack. He doesn't want it anymore. That's what he says. I don't want any more of my snack, which isn't true. I already know it's not true because this is the repetition we have. Then he asks me for my water. I know to bring my water because he doesn't want his milk. He doesn't want anything else. He wants my water. So I give him my water, and then I'm already ready with the snack in my hand because then he wants the snack back. This is the thing we have all the time. So I'm on the phone with JJ one day, and he goes, Milo won't eat his snack. And I'm like, that's not true. You didn't bring water for him to drink. And Milo is upset at you because you haven't given him water. But I anticipate and know the needs of my children before they know them. I know when they need to go to sleep long before they know when they need to go to sleep. I know when my daughter needs a diaper change. I know I can see these little features because I have studied them from the moment they were born. So how much greater then? Our, our actual creator, our actual God, that he would know our needs, that he would know before we anticipate them what we need, when we need, and how we need it. And for us to even doubt for a second that goodness would be my son telling me he should stay up till 10 at night. Right? It sounds so funny, but we do that. But in heaven, it's perfect. 
We don't hunger because I, I saw on a commentary, there is no hunger anymore in heaven because we get to taste the bread of life, which is Jesus himself. He himself will satisfy that hunger. Before Jesus left, he goes, I go to what? To prepare a place for you. Oh, he's longing for us to get there. He's longing for us to be there. When I was younger, I used to think heaven sounded like the worst place ever. Right? Because you see on cartoons or you hear, one, the idea as a child to ever be separated from my parents who were so good. It was earth shattering to me to ever think that I would not be with them or in the life I have. Because as a kid, your life does seem pretty perfect and it is pretty closer. It is close to that. But the older you get, the more struggle you face. And I'm beginning to recognize I'm going to be 30 this year, <laughs> which for some of you, you're like, you're so young. And for some of you in this room, you think you're so old. And one way or another, we all get to 30 and we all pass 30. <laughs> but I'm beginning to realize, oh, I long for heaven. Because you are so much better, God, than anything on this earth. The best day I've ever experienced, the best food I've ever tasted, the best drink I've ever had. You are so much more satisfying than all of those things here. Because there it is perfect. It's made perfect by him. And to just begin to long for that, I think that's what allows these people who will face this. And maybe it's us, maybe it is. Maybe it is us who face tribulation on this earth. Maybe the end times come before we age and before we're able to go into heaven in that way. Maybe it is people in this room. Maybe it's our children. I don't know. I, no one knows, right? We were talking this week at Teaching Team that it's so silly, all the people who have guessed, like this is the day, this is the time, this is the year. It's such an odd thing to me because Jesus literally told us no one knows the day or the hour except my Father in heaven. So why do we think that we as humans can guess that? Right? So I, let's just all agree. None of us know when this is. None of us. There, Jesus tells us there will be signs of the end times. But that, I, I mean... There's debate of how long a year is to God, okay? We don't know God's time. We don't understand it. And we should never pretend to understand it. But I believe this for those who do endure during that time. It's because of this promise. Hold true to the fact that there's a reward in heaven for you. That there's a place for you and he is preparing that place for you whenever your time may be. And that at the end of the millennial reign, there's a new heaven and there's a new earth and God will be with his people and will dwell among them and will shepherd them. And then this last point, and God will wipe away our tears. Revelation 7, 17, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
couple weeks ago, Pastor John spoke about the, the prayers in heaven, the bowl of prayers that are held. The good ones, the hard ones, the unanswered ones. I have prayed a lot of prayers that have been unanswered. I have prayed prayers when I've miscarried. Would you change this? Would you let this not be? Would you bring the miracle? And I don't think that day and in that time, the tears he will dry from our eyes are the current tears of that moment, I think it's that whole life long of tears that we experience here on earth. And he's so good and he's so kind to us. In Revelation 21.4, right after he talks about his home being among his people. The very next verse, the very next sentence is this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Don't you long for that day? No more sorrow and no more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And I was picturing it like this. My kids sometimes have bad dreams at night. Specifically my oldest, Ezra. And there's not for a moment that when he calls out to his mommy that I'm not there in a flash, in a second, that I would jump through every hoop, every, everything to get to him. JJ and I so often talk about the hardest part of being a parent is not the changing the diapers or the temper tantrums or anything else like that. It's It's having children in a fallen world. Knowing that they will experience pain, that they will experience heartache, that they will experience these things. And if I could just protect them, if I could just pull them into myself and hold them, I would forever. But when I go into Ezra's room, my instinct as a parent is I grab him. And he's getting far too big to do this with. <laughs> and he has tears streaming down his eyes. And not for a second is my response to him, just toughen up, just be okay. You know what I do? I dry every year for, tear from his eye until there are no more tears. I let him cry as long as he needs to, as hard as he needs to. And all along, I just hold him and I tell him it's going to be okay. 
I'm here. I would never let anything hurt you. Nothing's going to get you. And when I was preparing this, I was thinking, I'm sorry to be emotional. I think I just, I recognize the sobering moment that this will be. This incredibly intimate moment that we will have with our Father. Because what I know is this, He loves me so much better than I could ever even love my son. So if I'm willing to do that in my humanness, how much more is He willing to do that for us? And I picture this moment that He says, Come. Oh, my desire was never to see you hurt. And do you see the bowl of prayers that I have stored for you? Because here and now, you get to see my redeeming plan. And it'll be this thread. I was always at work in your life. I was always there looking out for you. I was always there on your side, leading you and guiding you. And now, oh, my child, I get to wipe the tears from your eyes. You get to meet the baby you never met here on earth. I long for that day. And I believe that that day will be mine. And he will hold me as long as I need to be held. And he will dry every tear that I have. All of us, all of us go through hardships, go through tragedies, go through pain here on earth. But all of us who hold on to the truth, who will hold on to his goodness, have the reward of him wiping every tear from our eye. And so I want to close with this. God's plan is to redeem. God's plan is to be in relationship with you. And so I have two things that I want to pray for tonight. The first one is this. You've come tonight. You have never made that decision to follow Jesus. Maybe because you've looked at Christianity and gone, that doesn't seem real or that doesn't seem fair. I don't know. I don't know what your reasoning is. Or you've grown up in church your whole life, but you know you haven't really made that decision to connect with him. And I've just decided moving forward in my life that every opportunity, I really mean this, every opportunity I have, to usher him and his presence into a room, to allow him to get glory, to allow more names to be written in the book of life, that I get to be a part of that. There's nothing more I want. That you get to have your tears dried by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, which truly means in the Greek, the beginning, the first letter, and the end. Omega, the last. He is the beginning, and he is the end. He is the start, and he is the finish. And he's not done with you yet. 
Your story doesn't end here on earth. Even if you spent, which honestly, church, our life is so much more good from him than hard. But even if we spent this lifetime in only hardships, it would pale in comparison to his goodness for eternity. So I want to invite you into that. If you would close your eyes and you would bow your heads. And if that's you, and you say, I haven't, haven't made that decision or haven't really committed to that decision, but I know now, and it's not me, it's not my words, it's not my message, this is his. All I literally did today was I stood up and I read the Bible. I read his words. I read his promise to you, to us, to his people. This isn't what I think. This is, this is God himself saying these things, promising these things. So that and then the second one would be this. If you are in that place of there's this thing that keeps me away from God, the fear There's this one thing that holds me back from really being in a relationship with him. Would you raise your hand for one of those two things? Yeah. Yep, I see your hands. God, I pray right now for those who have made a decision and who want to make a decision to follow you. God, we say yes to those things. God, I thank you for that. What a privilege it is to lead people, God, to everlasting life. It says if we confess with our mouth, right? God, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I confess that to you. I believe that you are real. I believe that you have a good thing at the end of this life for me. I believe that. And I say yes to the plans and purposes you have for me. And for those who are struggling with feeling like they're, hmm, there's just this gap. I can never get that close to God. I break that in the name of Jesus off of your life. I break it in the name of Jesus. There's nothing too great that his blood didn't cover and does cover. You are welcomed into his presence. You are wanted in his presence. And then this, for those suffering right now, for those who have lost, for those who are in pain, for those who are having a hard time seeing where this story ends, seeing the goodness in it. I pray that your promise to wipe our tears, oh, that it would, it would, it would lift us up. But God, I pray for today, Jesus. That even now, even in this moment, you would comfort them. You would bring that glimpse, that outline, that sketch, that rough draft to their life of the goodness that you have. That pain is temporary, but your goodness is everlasting.
I prayed this downstairs earlier before the, the service, and I feel like it's for right now, and I just want to take a minute just to pray it over you. That our joy, church, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so even in the middle of the hardest days, his joy, his joy over you is our strength. And that if you're facing anxiety right now, I felt that as a specific prayer. If there's any anxiety in your life, that it would be loosed from you in the name of Jesus, that you would be free from that, that why not today that you could walk into church and that you could feel his presence and that his joy could replace the anxiety, that it would be your strength and that tomorrow would be a new day. You have enough for today and that alone. It's really interesting because I do, I feel, I feel that there are people in hard places right now. And yet right now I feel his sweet presence. Oh, his presence is so sweet. Sometimes he comes in like a blowing wind and sometimes he's in the still quiet. And I just feel him in that stillness right now that you would just be still and know that he is God, that he has you, that he has the situation, that he wants to wipe every tear from your eyes. I thank you, God, for the power of the gospel. What a great thing you've done for us, Jesus. What a great thing you're doing right now in this moment. And at the end of the age, what a wonderful, marvelous thing you do for your people. May we hold tight to it. May we long with every day for heaven, for you, Jesus. But in the meantime, may we not give up. May we keep pressing on toward the goal toward the victory, because victory is ours. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Amen.